Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your host, Chris Honholtz, and yes, Richard Story. You won't be, but it just stuck with me this time, guys. Yay! I'm joining you on this 21st of January, 2023, three weeks already into the new year, and it just continues to get weird. Um, uh, Weirder and weirder by the day, which is actually part of what our topics will be, uh, our, our topic will be tonight. But I uh, want to thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for uh, taking time to listen to last week's program. Uh, seems like a fair amount of you guys found that helpful and, and, and uh, informative. So if you guys do find those things helpful, number one, please let us know. We want to continue to, to be helpful to you and edifying in some capacity. So if these topics do give you something to think about and, and to grow with, let us know so we can do more of them. To, uh, to continue to do that for you, but also share it with others because I think if we can help you, that means maybe there's someone else who's thinking along those same lines that needs that little bit of inf- additional information. Um, obviously, we are not the you know creme de la creme, nor we'd ever try, claim to be. Uh, we're not scholars. We're not theologians. We're two just two brothers in Christ who who love to talk about biblical things and and always try to point back to Scripture. And it seems to be the thing that you guys like. I mean, you know, that's I, that was somebody who was very kind that actually said that this week that we're just two Christian brothers talking about biblical things, and that's what makes it this program unique. And we appreciate that. Thank you, Hannah. By the way, you, uh, if she hears this, uh, thank you for saying that. Uh, also, want to thank you for a very kind shout out from um, Michelle Leslie, uh, tagging us with something that Podcast Movement was asking who's a program that you think needs more attention. And apparently, well, I don't know if she thinks we, we need more attention from you guys, or maybe we just need somebody needs to pay attention to what the mess we're creating. I don't know. Um, <laughs> sorry, but, um, that was very kind of you, Michelle. You really truly humbled us, uh, when we hear things like that, because honestly, we're just, we're just trying to use what little platform we have to, to be of some kind of help and, and to bring some level of glory to God. So, for those of you that do comment and do share, thank you so much. Uh, you guys really bless us when you do that. And again, I, I will, I've put this out before. If you do find anything about this program helpful, consider leaving a review on whatever podcast platform of choice you're using, uh, whether it's things like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Goodness, I was just looking on the, the website. I, it looks like I got a link up to several others. I forgot to tell you this, Rich. Uh, there are several others on there that we now have to start to link up to. I know we're on uh, Amazon Music Audible. I know we're on Spotify and iHeartRadio. But now there's Podchaser. There's Boomplay. There's Samsung apparently has a Samsung podcast I'm going to have to connect to. Listen notes. I've never heard of that one. Uh, Player FM. So as time permits, I will try to link this to whatever uh, resources that you guys listen from. So if you guys do and you find it helpful, again consider leaving a uh, a, a review. I we never. I think the only time we ever see the reviews is maybe on the Apple one, and that's only because I use Apple for the podcasts I listen to, and I stumble across the reviews once in a while. We don't. Other than other than that, we never see them, so it, it's not like it's sh- uh, stroking our egos in any way. It's certainly not uh, making us feel better about ourselves. We don't know, uh, but it leaves something for other people to know that you find the program beneficial. Um, just like if you are on Amazon or or you know uh, Walmart's shopping uh, uh, website, you see a review, it tells you if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It helps you decide. Reviews help people who stumble across the podcast know what they're uh, getting into. Could be good, could be bad. That's up to you. Uh, but but anyway, please consider doing that. Also, as I said last time, uh, we're part of Christian Podcast Community. Encourage you to go check all those out. And finally, please remember to, uh, to check us out on SlaveToTheKing.com. That's our website, SlaveToTheKing.com. And you can contact us. You can subscribe. You can connect via social media and to the, uh, you can even, if you have your own particular app that you like to use for listening to podcasts and it's, we're not connected to that, you can get the RSS feed from the website, drop it into your podcast app of choice and get it that way, which as the social big media, big tech uh, conglomerates out there continue to cl- clamp down on anything that uh, doesn't follow the the approved narrative. 
might be the only way you get it. <laughs> so we can encourage you to do that. Um, thank you so much again for being part of that. Brother, glad to have you back. So glad that you're feeling better. So glad that we were able to get connected up. How are you doing this week? Well, as always, brother, better than I deserve. And I'm glad to be back. It's been actually... We haven't had a recording together since last year. This is true. Last week of last year. So it's been it's been a while. <laughs> I know that's an old joke, but really it does seem a lot longer than three weeks. But I appreciate everyone's messages and their prayers, and I am feeling better. I had a pretty gnarly sinus infection that kind of had me out and laid out and for there for a while with a Massive flat tire, and if you know me, you know that joke. Um, yes, I have a weird sense of humor, <laughs> which reminds me, I had the nicest insult the other day I think I've ever received in my life. Oh, this will be interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you and I both get called all types of things in in online and in person. Oh, indeed. This is the first. This is the first time someone ever called me quirky, and I kind of <laughs> like. It. I think that's a good way to describe me. I'm quirky. I know they meant it as an insult, but I kind of liked it. I don't think I've ever heard quirky used as an insult. Now, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot about the person using it, because typically quirky isn't actually a bad thing. <laughs> in, in, in the context, they meant it as a bad thing. And instead of calling me weird or bizarre or crazy or stupid or whatever else, they used the word quirky. And <laughs> I always kind of like I kind of like that quirky. I'm, I'm different, which pretty much actually does describe me in real life. <laughs> I, I told, recently told someone I'm back to my abnormal, I'm, I'm back to my normal <laughs> abnormal self. So, Well, brother, we wouldn't have it any other way. I can assure you. And I'm just glad to have you back because talking to myself for an hour is very strange. <laughs> oh, you get used to it. I talk to myself all day long, every day. Um, I've had some of the most heated arguments with myself too. I mean, me, myself, and I, we get in, we engage in some very, very, very deep conversations sometimes. <laughs> well, I usually tell people... I guess that's why I'm quirky. <laughs> this is true. I have told people, you know, don't worry too much if you hear me talking to myself, but if I'm arguing with myself and losing, that's when you might want to get involved. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay. I've got to remember that one. That's good. <laughs> I lost an argument to myself the other day. <laughs> You, I, I guarantee you, you will get some odd looks if you say that. So, oh, brother, again, it is it is a blessing Ooh, to have you back. Yes, I just had wow. a really, really, really interesting idea. I take my wheelchair, sit in the middle of Walmart, and start having an argument with myself and turn my head back and forth like I'm talking to someone <laughs> on either side of me. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, I guarantee you. You won't, nobody will ever bother you. They will just go as far away as possible. They'll be like, I don't want to know. I'm out of here. <laughs> okay. For the record, I'm teasing people. Maybe. Uh, I'm Maybe. trying to bring some laughter to, to the ambiance. <laughs> well, brother, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful to have you back because um, as much as it's, I, we always want to try to put out content and not just do reruns with you guys. It is extremely awkward to do it by yourself if you've ever done this. Um, and I'm one of those individuals I hate to try to call on people at the last second because it feels rude. You're asking people to drop what they're doing, whatever that might be, to join you for a topic they may have no idea what you're talking about. And so it's I always feel a little awkward doing that. And uh, I was grateful that we were still able to get something out for you guys and, and that it was helpful. But I would much prefer to have Rich here with me so I don't sound so boring. So, <laughs> uh, I have a question, brother. Yes. Does that mean when we plan on recording on Saturday and one of us asks the other on Friday night, what are we going to talk about? Does that mean that we're, <laughs> we're being awkward and rude to the other person? <laughs> Shh. Don't, don't give away all oh, our secrets, oh, I'm brother. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> People think we know what we're doing over here. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I will say that typically... We will try to think of a, a you know a topic during the week and be somewhat prepared coming in. Rich usually more than myself, um, but there are weeks like this week where it's just been, what do we talk about? <laughs> you know, and and it's you kind of just survey the landscape and go, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna talk about that, and we'll just we'll just try to, you know, present as a cogent a discussion as we can, which with the two of us it could 
go anywhere. Um, but uh, this week we are going to try and get into a topic that I, I don't think it's been avoid. It's not like it's never been discussed, and we've certainly talked about it in a variety of ways on this show. But it's the the whole manipulation of language. We're, we're watching it happen again. Um, a really great example of it is, uh, unless you've been under a rock, you've probably heard of, even if you're not a hockey fan, uh, you've probably heard of this uh, Ivan Provorov. Uh, Philadelphia Flyers, I guess, is, is the team. I'm not a sports guy. Let's just establish that right up front. I am not a sports guy. Big shock. Um, but this one even caught my attention. Basically... We're not going to talk about this topic, this uh, news story in particular, but it does highlight what we uh, we want to talk about. Ivan uh, Provorov was out with the Flyers during warmups, and I guess it was um, optional or something to wear this uh, the LGBT Pride colored jersey during the warmups, and he elected not to. And so people asked him about it, and he gave a simple answer, and it was basically saying, "Look, I respect everyone." But I got to be true to myself and my faith. And he's, by the way, he's Russian Orthodox, which is kind of like the Eastern version of Catholicism. It's not, you know, it's not biblical Christianity, but he is adhering to a a Christian esque faith. And so he's not going to wear something he has an objection to. And he says, and that's all I'm going to say. He left it at that. He didn't, he didn't make any comments about LGBT community people, uh, persons. He didn't make any comments about person sexuality. He simply said. He needed to be true to himself and to his faith. That was it. Well, what are we now hearing? Everybody with an opinion and a microphone is basically calling him hateful, that his team needs to be fined a million dollars, that the NHL needs to come down on this and deal with it immediately, etc., etc. And basically, it is talking, you know, people are in, uh, in, uh, insisting that Ivan Provorov is hateful, he's a bigot, etc. And so that's what kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about the issue of the manipulation of language. That's a big issue that's been going on, and it's one of those things that, you know, Rich, if when we get into conversations with people online, and you talk, people talk about, well, if you love you love your neighbor, that was a big one during the last two years, right? If you love your neighbor, you'll wear the mask. If you love your neighbor, you'll shut down your church. If you love your neighbor, you'll get the jab. It was this adoption of language with that we are all familiar with but given very different meanings and being used as a cudgel against us and so we just kind of wanted to kind of discuss that a little bit tonight because you, you have to be aware of what's happening this isn't an intentional purposeful and rich is rich has got some stuff that you know he went and you know rich does what rich does man he, he loves to research so he found some Dude, you got big words. That's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to let him get into that one. But yes, while we all acknowledge that language can change over time, for the Christian, language needs to have a specific meaning, and we want to address that. But um, I, I want to share something at the beginning, just to keep this somewhat lighthearted, that understand that 44 years ago, Monty Python and, you know, and his you know that that whole team and their movies and stuff did things today that to, we recognize back then was pure comedy is pure sketch work it was it was parody it was satire but it's now actual conversation and reality today so if you've if you've never seen the movie life of brian look it's pretty irreverent in terms of the fact that it's a storyline about a man who is treated as is he gets treated like somehow he's the Messiah, but he's not, and he ends up getting persecuted and, and, and put on the cross. There are many irreverent moments, but this one particular, and I remember this because I watched it in college, but this one particular discussion, pure satire. Tell me if you hear today this language being discussed just as if it's actually a real discussion. Now here. I do feel, Reg, that any anti-imperialist group like ours must reflect such a divergence of interest within its power base. Agreed. Francis? Yeah, I think Judith's point of view is very valid, Reg, provided the movement never forgets that it is the unalienable right of every man or woman, or woman to rid himself or herself. Or herself. Agreed. Thank you, brother. Or sister. Or sister. Where was I? I think you finished. Oh. Right. Furthermore, it is the birthright of every man or woman 
Why don't you shut up about women, Stan? You're putting us off. Women have a perfect right to play a part in our movement, Reg. Why are you always on about women, Stan? I want to be one. What? I want to be a woman. From now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. But why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. But you can't have babies. Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to gestate? You're going to keep it in a box? Here, I've got an idea. Suppose you agree that he can't actually have babies, not having a womb, which is nobody's fault, not even the Romans, but that he can have the right to have babies. Good idea, Judith. We shall fight the oppressors for your right to have babies, brother. Sister, sorry. What's the point? What? What's the point of fighting for his right to have babies when he can't have babies? It is symbolic of our struggle against oppression. Symbolic of his struggle against reality. <laughs> symbolic of his struggle against reality. Absolutely accurate, 100% on point. And in 1979, nobody would have doubt, uh, disagreed with that. However, in 2023, if you say... You can't have babies, you don't have a womb. Well, you're hateful, you're a bigot. You, you, how dare you? And it is, this is no joke. This discussion is happening right now. Um, I don't know if you all remember this, but just about a month or so ago, there's an in, individual by the name of Dylan Mulvaney. He's kind of, and I say he because he's a he, he's one of these influencer type folks on social media that says he's living as a as a girl and would even got to you know be at the white house to interview the president and there was this big kerfuffle because he did a video where he's talking about carrying women's menstrual pads in in his purse and women rightly recognized you don't have at well as uh, it was so pointed out on the Monty Python sketch he doesn't have a womb so why does he carry these? Why 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 are you entering into uh, some sort of partnership? I, I don't remember if it was Playtex or somebody else because um, they were providing them to him. Why are you doing this? You know this is ridiculous. This is an insult to women. Dylan Mulvaney's response was a very I want to use the right word here. It was very arrogant. It was to basically say. You you don't have a problem with uh with the fact that um I you know that I that I have these these uh these tampons. You're the problem is is you're you're just transphobic and we need to get through this, uh, like l really just talking down to actual biological women and talking to them as if they were somebody lesser than himself. Somebody who just like t patting them on the head like little kids, going, "You don't get it. You you just don't understand." And literally a complete manipulation of language for a specific purpose, and that was to prevent actual discussion. So when, when Rich, one of the things that I think is important for us to understand is that when we are dealing with the manipulation of language that is going on in our culture right now, we've talked about it in the last couple of years for like the whole social justice, CRT, um, you know, intersectionality movement and that's kind of infiltrated into the church. It's an adoption of words and terms that the Christian knows, but given an entirely different definition. And so we always used to use the term, for example, phobic, to say that there was you had an unnatural fear of something. So, if you were, uh, you know, afraid of water, I think it's aquaphobic. Uh, if you're afraid of confined spaces, you know, um, you're claustrophobic. It, it was basically an irrational fear of something. Uh, I think agoraphobia, I think, is the right term for you know, like fear of large crowds. I might have that one wrong. Please bear with me. But it was this idea of we. It was a mental issue, a mental uh, disorder, 
that you had an irrational fear of something. And so that has been adopted into language to say if you have an objection to, say, homosexuality, you're homophobic. If you look at a specific religion such as Islam and, and say that they have a violent history by which they pro propagate their religion, oh, you're Islamophobic. If you, if you say there is a biological truth that we can't get past, that men are men and women are women, then you are transphobic. And the thing is, is that it is claiming a title, a description that actually is not a phobia. Yet they're applying the mem uh, the mental term, mental illness term, to anybody that disagrees. So if you say that, hey, you know, if if a man is a man and a woman is a woman, yeah, and you are actually using biological language, scientific language, religious language, and you're actually arguing a point, you are phobic, you are bigoted, you are misogynistic, you are uh, hateful. It's an attempt to do something specific. It's to shut you down. It's to keep you from talking further so that there's no way your, anything you say can be heard. It's basically you know, shooting the messenger, so to speak. I, I'm, I'm going to poison the well. These, these ideas of uh, you know, logical fallacies that we don't have to engage in the issue we have to, you know, stifle the discussion so that you have to be badgered into a corner. All right. And so that's the, that would be the first thing I, I want to point out is that when we're talking about the manipulation of language, please understand there are individuals in this world who will seek to manipulate a discussion to shut it down so that you can never make a point. And that's what's happening that we're seeing right now. Uh, the, you know, just like the, the, the Monty Python sketch, You've got a man in the group of four people. There's one man going, this doesn't work. This can't happen. He doesn't have the biological capacity to have babies. And what does everybody else do? Well, here's what we can do. We can make it a fight against oppression by saying he can have the right to, even if he physically can't. You got one side of, you know, that's recognizing the truth and the other side in an effort to accommodate the emotional state of the crackpot in the, of the four will we'll still make the fight about you, even if it means nothing. And that's, that's Rich, I think the biggest problem is that so many of these discussions really, in the end, achieve nothing other than shutting down the discussion, right? Absolutely, brother. And a little bit deeper is the motivation behind why people are doing this and the situation of the one that interviewed the president with the with the mm -hmm. women women products. Yeah, um, it's not really put out there much, but if you dig hard enough, you can find how much this gentleman is being paid mm -hmm. by that company to promote that product. From a pure business economic standpoint, the makers of that product are brilliant. That is the mm -hmm. most original marketing campaign ever: is to try to get men to purchase a product designed specifically for women and try to normalize it from a manufacturing standpoint you understand their motive is to make money in his from his standpoint his motivation is to sell this product promote this product to make money but and you know we don't know people's motivations behind some of these issues and sometimes it is driven by money it's sometimes it's driven because they actually believe what's coming out of their mouth or they're trying to promote some type of cultural change. But in the end, it all goes back to anything and everything besides what the word of God has actually defined and declares when it comes to men and women and sin. So um, one portion of this conversation would like to try to equip the believers to understand that instead of engaging in all of these irrational arguments, trying to debate with someone whether a man can use this product or not. We need to go back to the original source. We need to go back to the Word of God. We need to use the Bible, Andy Stanley, and mm -hmm. explain to them, this is what the Bible says. This is what God has defined. This is what God has declared. It doesn't matter what you believe. 
because if what you believe is false, you're going to end up in hell. It doesn't matter if you have faith. If you have faith in the tooth fairy, it doesn't matter because the tooth fairy can't save you because the tooth fairy doesn't exist. It doesn't matter what truth you believe unless you actually believe the truth as defined by God Almighty himself. So we need to make sure we're pointing people back to the Word of God and explaining terms and explaining sin and explaining phrases as God defines. And we need to remember, even in some of these discussions, we will never, ever argue someone into heaven. And we will never argue someone out of hell. All we can do is present God's truth and beg and plead and pray to God to open their hearts to understand the truth that was declared to them. Amen. Amen. And and this is another thing. Okay, you bring up Andy Stanley. And by the way, I'm going to put this in the show notes, but I really would like you guys to check out our good uh, buddy Chris Huff, his recent episode on Matter of Theology, addressing what Rich just t- talked about, Andy Stanley. Because Andy Stanley, we've talked about on the program before, and I know a lot of you guys have heard from various people, in other programs, Andy Stanley is infamous for his "We need to unhitch the Old Testament so uh, so that we can you know be able to preach the gospel to people." And his perspective has always been: there are issues with the Old Testament about its history, about science, and all these other things, and how it's it's not accurate and it, and it could be an obstacle to the proclamation of the gospel. Well, he started a new series, and in this new series, he has said, "Look." If we're going to uh, you know, bring people uh, to Jesus, or if we have people who were once uh, adults who were once Christians, and now they're coming back, his statement is, the Bible says, quote-unquote, and then he says, is not an adequate starting place for many adults. And so what he's basically saying is, we need to, get, we need to have something other than quoting scripture and taking people through scripture because the Bible simply isn't an adequate starting point. This is another way in which language, especially within the professing church, is manipulated. Because what, you know, what is it that the, uh, you know, the prophets and the apostles of old, what would they say? Thus says the Lord. It was the power of God. It was his word by which that people were commanded to come in obedience to the Lord, to be repentant for sin, to make sacrifice for sin, to be, uh, as a nation, to turn and believe in him and call out to him. Thus says the Lord. Yet we have within a, the professing church a movement of people. And and understand, when, when somebody like an Andy Stanley comes along and says, well, we really need to do something more than just quote scripture, what they're really saying is, there are so many things laden, built in the Christian faith that are such an obstacle that people don't like that we have to move those obstacles aside to be able to get them to make a profession of faith, or as they would say, accept Jesus. Again, this is a manipulation of language. This is taking you know, things like the gospel which is a command, by the way. The gospel is a command. It is not simply an invitation. Jesus tells us, in, you know, you know the, the gospels tell us that one of the first things Jesus preached was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is a command to turn from sin, to turn and trust in Christ. It is a free gift because there's nothing we can do to earn it, but it is not merely an invitation. It's actually a command to turn in and, and, uh, rep- repentance and trust in Christ. But when someone like an Andy Stanley or other mega church kind of church growth guru comes along, they want to change the language of the gospel. They want to change the language and make it something that they can soft, uh, that they can soft sell and kind of scoot around all the objectionable issues. And so in Andy Stanley's mind, the Bible as a whole now is an obstacle. It's not merely the Old Testament. It's the Bible as a whole, and if you watch, if you listen to Chris Huff's uh, presentation, and, and, and in fact, I would also recommend go listen to Dr. James White on uh, on Dividing Line. He actually addressed that just earlier this week. I'll I'll find that one and put it in show notes as well, because he actually plays the full clip. But what you have 
is someone who has basically said, well, there's there the Bible we were taught was from beginning to end inerrant, it was perfect, but then we went to college and found out that it wasn't and that it wasn't always right and that it wasn't always authoritative, but it's still valuable. So we've got to start somewhere else. And that's where the series goes. It's an effort to change what God's word says about itself and now say it's not what it claims to be. And now where does that put the, where is the, uh, the, where's the standard? The standard is on the person you're trying to sell to. You're changing what the gospel is. And instead of it being the word of God, which judges us and commands us, you now put the onus upon the person you're trying to sell Christianity to, and they are the standard. They are the judge. They are the one you have to appease. And Rich, that's just as dangerous as anything the culture itself tries to sell, right? Absolutely. To give the 100-pound explanation of of tonight's show and and, an overview um, I found this interesting. It started out as a joke between me and Chris, and I got to reading about it. So I'd like to share it with our listeners so they have to suffer through it, too. Um, in society, there is a natural, what's called a semantic shift when it comes to words. Um, and sometimes it occurs naturally. Sometimes it's on purpose. But a diachronic, diachronic change that we're witnessing, we need to really be considering whether it's a natural occurring synchronic relationship in modern language, or if it's an intentional semantic change designed to reappropriate meanings and words and phrases for a particular objective, meaning are they doing this on purpose, changing, changing the meaning of words, changing the meaning of terms and definitions to suit their worldview, or is it naturally occurring as a re- byproduct and result of what we see going on in culture? Now, I really think more times than not is it an intentional downgrading or depreciation of a word's meaning, and this process is called pejoration. Now, with all that being said, to put it simply, we go back, Andy Stanley, and open up Isaiah, go to chapter 5, and verse 20 tells us all we need to know. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that's exactly what we see going on in the world today. They're trying to call good evil and evil good. And we go to Proverbs seventeen fifteen, and it states, well, excuse me, thus says the Lord, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. And just like everything else in society, no matter how they want to change words, no matter how they want to change phrases or change the meaning or appropriate the rainbow, which was God's covenant with Noah, promising not to completely deluge the earth and water again, or whether it's downgrading of, the, of what sin is and is not in the eyes of God. Basically, it gets back to today's world's God is emotion. People put their emotions and their feelings above what the Word of God actually says. That's why we have to constantly be going back to the Word of God, especially within Christianity. When we're discussing these issues with other Christians, it is imperative that we say, this is what the Word of God states. This is not my opinion. This is not my feelings. This, these are not my emotions. I know years ago in Bible studies, it was pretty common to ask, what does this verse mean to you? Now it's common to ask, how does this verse make you feel? And sadly, that's the predominant way of doing Bible studies among most professing churches today, instead of asking, what does God mean by this verse, or what mm-hmm. is God declaring by this verse, where we have created an entire generation of people ruled and governed by emotions and feelings, and I'm sorry, your emotions and feelings have absolutely no bearing on what the truth of God's Word actually is. Amen. Absolutely spot on. You know, you're, the thing that you read from the you know, about the whether uh, there's the semantic shift is something that's coming as a natural course of things because we all agree that language does shift over time. 
or is it something that's been forced upon us? And that's what we're seeing here. You go back to the Dylan Mulvaney thing that we talked about before. He forces the discussion of, you know, of saying you're just homophobic. He's, or excuse me, transphobic. He is you know, in this condescending way. I think that was the word I was trying to use earlier. Condescending manner changes the narrative and the discussion. The discussion is, is he a woman? Is, does he have a need for feminine products? Is there a purpose in having a man who dresses as a woman, pretending to be a woman, to carry these feminine products with him? And he changes it to say, oh, I do this for you. I do the carry these products for you if you need them. This, But you, your objection isn't over me being you know, a guy. It's that you're transphobic. It's a forced upon us discussion. It is a, it just in the same way that things like critical race theory and intersectionality force a change in the term of justice and how love as you know as it has been described to us in the last couple of years has been to say anything the government tells you to do you must do for if you love your neighbor. Well, let's say how do we now decide whether or not the, the, the definitions given to us, the way that the culture or or professing church, a la Andy Stanley, how do we know which one's the right one? Well, we go to the scriptures, as Rich was saying. You have to go to the word of God. God is the one who defines these things. You know, people like to say, well, God is love and you need to be loving. Well, okay, God is love. Where do we get that from? First John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Okay, good. For love is from God. Okay, so genuine love for your neighbor or for one another comes from whom? From God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now let's stop right there. To be loving means that you've, you've received love from God. He has transformed you. And you uh, being able to love someone else is, is something that comes from God. And it's because you are born of him and you know him. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, the source of genuine love is God. And if you do not show love as God would have you show it, you don't know God. So if you actually have genuine hatred as biblically defined, you can't Love someone, you can't love God because you can't hate someone else and say that I love God. That's why it says you can't hate your brother and one, uh, you know, out of one side of your mouth and then profess to love God out of the other side. A question. Yes. All right. How does God define loving him? Well, this is where I was going to go next. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Jumped in, ahead of you. Yeah, it's okay. Verse 9. In, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to what? Be the propitiation for our sins. Genuine biblical love is God sending his son to die in the place of sinners because sinners have rebelled against God, deserve hell, and yet he sent his son to redeem them by taking their place on the cross. Genuine love is that which says, I will pay the penalty for your rebellion against me through the death, burial, and resurrection of my son. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you right yes. there. I, I want to drill down even more specifically than that. Christ said, if you love me, what? You will if you love me. Keep, obey my commandments. Right. And that's... Okay. First, go ahead. The, the first thing we have to look at is what are the commandments Christ gave to the disciples, to the apostles, and what are the commandments Christ conveyed to us through the writings of the New Testament? One of the primary examples of this is that Christ tells us to resist the devil but in, late, in, in a later verse, he even more specifically states that we are to flee sexual mm -hmm. immorality. Sexual immorality 
as defined by God, is anything beyond the bounds of matrimony between one man and one woman and the, their relationship in the marriage bed. Anything other than that is sexual immorality. And that's what the world does not want to know. They do not want to hear it. They deny it. They fight against it, just like in the case of, of this man pretending to be a woman needing feminine products. He is embracing a form of sexual immorality. No professing Christian who is embracing, promoting, and supporting any form of sexual immorality can truly love God because Christ says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And we look at 1 John, and it's a very, very detailed explanation of what it truly means to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. If we say we have no sin, we call God a liar. If we claim to love Christ while we're practicing sin, we are not in Christ. And in fact, we're actually blaspheming Christ and calling him a liar. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I wanted to point out to this particular verse, because love is that which does what God has commanded us to do, trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, trusting in His Word and His... You know, when people... When, when we say Jesus became the propitiation for our sins, what we're saying is everything that the Bible says is a sin and sexual immorality, you know, lying, covetousness, idolatry, all of those things are sins for which we will be condemned to hell, Christ died in our place for. So then what does Paul later say in Romans? You know, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? You know, perish the thought. We were, you know, of course we're not to live in that sin. If we live in that sin, we have enslaved ourselves into sin. Therefore, we have not loved God. We are not loved by God because we are still in sin. That which, you know, when he says... Uh, beloved, verse 11 here in, in 1 John, Beloved, if God so loved us, in other words, Christ being the propitiation for our sins, we also ought to love one another. Genuine love is that which says, what you're doing is a sin, stop. Turn from it, turn to Christ who died in the place of sinners. We, If we are to love others, we are to do so in such a way that we are pointing them to Christ, the Savior, who uh, frees us from sin and death. So the idea that you, well, to to uh, you know to uh, be loving is to tell someone and affirm someone in their sin that everything is great and they're okay. You're not loving them. You're not loving the way God is loved because you hate that person because you're telling them to live in their sin is okay. You're celebrating sin. That's not love. That is hate because you are not willing to tell the truth to someone about their sin. When we talk about justice, God defines justice. His justice over sinners is an eternal conscious torment in the fires of hell. When God talks about justice for the oppressed, justice against the wicked, he's talking about the day that comes, you know, there'll be a day that comes that he has judged every wicked, vile oppressor eternally. How do I know that? Because there are Psalms that talk about the fact that you know, Lord, I see that you know this person lives as a sinner and yet they they have this this life of luxury, and here I struggle, yet God, I know and, and trust in you. Very bad paraphrase. Sorry. <laughs> but the point of that being is that we, the, the, even the psalmists, David and others, recognized that there are sinners in this life who seem to get away with their sin, that they oppress, that they are evil, they hurt others, and yet God says he will have justice on them? It is that eternal justice that they will never escape apart from Christ. Justice is, in God's part is his 
he may have justice temporally in this life, but you will not escape the eternal justice that he will face. So when someone comes to you and says, well, justice is about equity. Justice is about equality. God is against the oppressor. Yes, you're right. God is against the oppressor, but God may allow the oppressor to live his entire life free from judgment in this life, but he will not escape the justice of eternity. And so we have thing, to go to the Word to understand that. Go ahead, brother. Sorry. <clears throat> One thing I'd like to point out, though, that even in that terminology, we have to define the word oppressor yes. as Christ defines it. You are not being oppressive if you point out women should not preach. You're not being oppressive Amen. if you point out there are only two genders. Amen. You're not being oppressive if you define sin and call sinners to repentance and belief in Christ. In fact, we're commanded to do so by Christ himself in proclamation of the gospel. And even in that word, we have to make sure we're defining what is an oppressor as God defines. Because in the world today, if you don't agree with someone, no matter what the subject may be, um, some subjects heavier than others, but... If you don't agree with them, you're being oppressive, just like when it comes to the issue of same-sex marriage. If you don't support it, you're oppressive. If you don't support women preaching, you're oppressive. So we even in these, even in using biblical definitions, sometimes we have to take an extra step and actually define the biblical de definition of something by how the Bible defines that definition, if that makes any sense. No, it absolutely does, and this is why constant diligent study of the scriptures is something we must do this is why when people like an andy stanley want to come along and say the bible is not a sufficient starting place what they're saying is i don't want to be beholden to the definitions of that god provides i don't want to tell people that they have to submit to god's methodology god's wisdom, God's understanding, God's commandments. It is imperative. If you're a pastor, please hear me. It is imperative that you teach your people that the Word of God is God's final word on any given subject. Where God has commanded it, it is clear that the Christian must conform to it. There is no wiggle room. When God says something is an abomination, it is an abomination. You're not going to, you can't go to less clear passages and say, well, maybe here it seems kind of maybe off. No, it's clear over here. The clear verses interpret the less clear. So when you have a passage, say, like you brought up, Rich, uh, you know, it is not oppressive to say women are not to be pastors. Guess what? There's a lot of guys that aren't allowed to be pastors, too. We've talked about that. But it says women are not allowed to be pastors. Well, you can't go, well, what about this person? And what about that person? We can, we've, we've done an entire episode. We did two episodes on this, back-to-back uh, -back episodes, and explained what the Bible actually shows about those uh, scenarios. And we can clearly say with each one of those, this was not a violation of Paul's command as an apostle of Christ that... Here's the classifications for who can be a pastor. And so it is imperative, pastors, that you teach your people how to be students of the word. And Christian, even if your pastor hasn't made that an imperative in his teaching, which I beg you, pastor, but make it so, you yourself have the clear teaching of the word of God. You need to understand what God means by love. You need to understand what God means by justice. You need to understand what God says about sex, sexuality, gender, all of this. Because if you aren't taking the time to study it, and then someone comes to you and says, well, you are just a bigot, you're just a hateful person, and you cower under that, you have listened to the word of man. And like Adam, who listened to his wife who and then sinned in the garden, you too will be guilty of sin if you cower under man's word and give in. And that's the problem, is that there are a great many professing Christians, some who are saved, some who profess but don't have any possession of Christ, who cower under the 
fearful or the fear mongering of the world who wants to control how we think about issues. We just talked about this last episode. Oh, you're a fake Christian because you don't actually love. And so what's that meant to do? It's meant to cause us to cower. It's meant to cause us to pull into a corner. Um, I'll give you a good example. I love his acting. I think he's a great actor. But obviously, Tom Hanks thinks that he should be able to say he doesn't respect, say, someone like me if I don't wear a face mask when I'm out in public. Well, what does that matter? You know, how does, you know, there's no, there's nothing about that that makes any difference in my life that an actor whom I've never met and will never meet and a man who is a celebrated actor who knows who, no idea who I am. What does it matter that he says, well, I don't have any respect for you. It means nothing, right? It's meant to cause you to go, oh, this person won't respect me. It's an, a manipulation of language. I don't care if Tom Hanks doesn't respect me. Tom Hanks isn't going to care if I don't respect him. We'll never interact with one another. Only the people in his immediate life will have any impact by that statement. Nobody else will have any impact about it. So it means nothing. It has no impact on your life. And when somebody says, well, you're just a bigot, you're just hateful. What impact does that have? Nothing. They might get society to turn on you, which is what we talked about in the last episode. But ultimately, it means nothing. Why? Because the person you must be most consumed with, the person whom you must be most concerned about pleasing, is not the people who want to co-opt language and turn it into something it doesn't mean. It is the God that defines what those words mean, that you must be consumed with, that you must be concerned with, whom you must be seeking to please. And if we as Christians don't take time to delve into these topics, and, and parents, this is going to be a tough one for you. You've got to discuss these things from a biblical perspective with your kids. Because they're going to be turning on YouTube. They're going to turn on Instagram. They're going to turn on TikTok and all these other things. And they're going to be influenced by the world that is using this language. And I'll tell you right now, I have plen had plenty of discussions with my two teen boys over, you know, as they have grown up. We don't, I, they won't agree with me on everything. I know that. And some things they're going to have to learn themselves. But I have used many opportunities over the years to challenge them to think in a biblical way. And there have been times where you can see those wheels turning because it, what I told them is not clicking with what they're thinking about and how their friends or how they're, what they've seen on TV or, or, or uh, social media has taught them to believe. But you have to challenge that. But the way you challenge that is you yourself have to go to the Word. You're going to have to understand this. Like it or not, we are thrust into a period and a time when language is being used as a weapon. It is being used as a weapon to turn people against one another. Um, if you've never read 1984, I, I really recommend you do so. I think most of us probably have. Um, well, maybe most of us who listen to this program, not everybody today, uh, uh, you know, is um, probably read it because a lot of people seem to want to use 1984 as an instruction manual instead of a, a cautionary tale. But there's a line in George Orwell's book, 1984, and the character says, It's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. Of course, the great wastage is in the verbs and adjectives, but there are hundreds of nouns that can be gotten got rid of as well. And what that person is talking about is they're creating this new uh, new speak dictionary. And they're, they're, they're getting rid of all these excess words that allow people to communicate thoughts and ideas and think beyond what Big Brother wants. And by reducing language down to the acceptable terminology, they control language, they control thought. And that's really what it is, is that they're trying to destroy the words and destroy thought so that you can keep a people enslaved. And that's what's going on here. Yes. And that's a perfect example of a purposeful semantic shift Mm -hmm. the pejorative of meanings and words. And in this case, 
when it comes to society as a whole, they're doing it in such a way to control mm-hmm. the, not only just the narrative, but control the minds and thinking of the future generation. And that's actually what Hitler did in the 1930s leading, leading up to World War II when he took power because he knew that in order to change the thinking of the next generation, he needed to start targeting the young people. So by the time they were in their 20s, their thinking and their actions completely matched his objective. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And as Christians, that's extremely important for us to understand. We talked about in the last episode that the whole fake Christian mindset that you're a fake Christian and unless you do things the way we dictate to you, you're not a real Christian and we are now going to use this as a reason to bring uh, to bring persecution against you as a moral good. Christians need to understand this. We cannot equivocate on language, especially biblical language. So it's we've got to take the time. We've you know we've got to understand and do good hermeneutics and good do good definition searches and become familiar, so familiar with how God describes something and how He defines it that when someone says and this you know you all have heard this this analogy before that when the Secret Service are trained to detect counterfeit money, what do they do? They train them to know what real money feels like, looks like, all of that. So that in a moment, the second you touch it or glance at it, you know what a counterfeit bill is. You have to become so enamored with the Word of God, so in love with it, so it permeates your life, that when someone says to you, well, if you really loved, you immediately pick up on they're about to if she give you give me a counterfeit definition. They're about to give me an unbiblical definition. And now you're going to have to you know, work to help them understand the biblical understanding of it. They may reject it. They may hate you for it. They may call you every name in the book for it. They may seek to cancel you. They may seek to have you fired from your job. They may do all kinds of things to force you to accept the world's definition, but you cannot give ground because to do so is to tell God he is wrong. Hey, brother. Yes. I'd like to add one more thing as I close out, and it goes along with what you were saying. Words mean different things to different people. Even among professing Christians, we need to make sure we're defining terms as the Bible defines terms because in today's world, a person could say the word gospel. Even that word has come to mean different things to different people. We need to focus on what what God means by a term that's widely known among professing Christians, even the word gospel. We need to make sure we're defining that as the Bible defines it, because in today's society, more so than ever before, anything and everything that is written in the Bible, the actual word of God himself, is being challenged is being redefined and and used in ways that promotes sin as righteousness and is claiming true righteousness as sin. Mm -hmm. And as with everything else, we cannot force our love for Christ. We cannot force our love for the Bible. We need to be praying that God himself grants us these desires, grants us understanding, wisdom, discernment, and opens our heart in order to understand his word. And as I close out, I'd like to say, like I do each week, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Folks, I hope this uh, this particular episode is somewhat helpful to you. Perhaps you've been in a conversation with someone and you just, you can't seem to get past something. There's just this block. The more you try to talk about the love of God, or you talk about justice, or you talk about, uh, you know, redemption or sin. And the words are both being used by one another, but you can't, there's just this, for some reason, you can't get on the same wavelength. Start with defining terms. Start with finding out what does somebody mean by what they're saying. 
because while there are many people who are going out of their way to manipulate language, there are some people who have fallen prey to this. So you're going to have to get on that same page and figure out what do we mean by love or justice or sin or righteousness. Because if you don't get there first, you may never be, get past that loggerheads. You may never get past and get through to what somebody is trying to say. Or, you know, you may not understand because you're not hearing what they're thinking. So that's a good place to start, number one. But number two, when you encounter someone who is manipulating language, call them out. Don't have to be rude. You don't have to be mean. You know, I'm not saying, you know, oh, you're just you're trying to lead me down a, a, a path to make me, uh, you know, uh, you know, admit something. I'm gonna I'm gonna slap you down and you know and, and call you out, blah blah blah. But rather, sh reveal to them you see what they're doing. And it's like, no, I have, you know, when they say, oh, well, you're homophobic or you're transphobic. No, I'm not afraid of anything. In fact, I have a greater love for those people or for yourself than you do because I care enough to tell you what God has said. So you can call me all kinds of names in an attempt to shut the conversation down and make me terrified, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to tell you what God's word says. And I know you don't want to hear God's word, but, you know, I trust God over you. I trust God over man's manipulations. I trust God over any other methodology because I know he will do what he intends to do. And this is where the Andy Stanleys of the world really reveal themselves when we have the professing church that play these word games. When Andy Stanley wants to say, the Bible's not a good starting place, it's not a sufficient starting place, what he's saying is, my methodology will achieve a number goal. I can prove that what I think about how things are done works because I can show you a growth in numbers. And what a, what's a, a tacit admission of God isn't trustworthy enough to save people. I have to make it happen. Folks, we have to stop worrying about whether or not the world will accept God's word on its face. Number one, they won't. We know that to be true. The natural man does not accept the things of God. And this is where soteriology is extremely important. And this will make some people a little frustrated with me because I believe in doctrines of grace. But if the scripture is correct in saying that there is none righteous, no, not one, there are none who seek after God. And the scriptures say that it is God who draws us to himself first, that those whom Christ redeems come are drawn by the Father first. If scripture is correct about the fact that when we are saved by grace, which is, you know, that's uh, not by works, and it's and we're saved by grace through faith, excuse me, not by works, and that faith itself is a gift from God. If Scripture is correct that God replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh, then what it has said is that it is not our power that brings someone to Christ. It is not our convincing. It is not our uh, our our. our lofty words. It's not our methodology. It is God himself who redeems. And if we trust that to be true, then we trust God's means by which he saves, and that is his word. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to have a great methodology. You don't have to have a great kids program at your church. You don't have to have a great production company. You don't have to have all anything other than, as uh, Paul said, I desire nothing to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. If that is what you preach, then you have taken the, the very means by which God has provided you to, pr to bring people to salvation and you've put it into play. The rest is trust solely in God and his work. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God will redeem who he intends to redeem. 
Why is it in a city full of millions, 3,000 people came to Christ in one day uh, through one brief sermon at Pentecost? Because the power of God unto salvation is the gospel message, and God saves. Why is it when you share the gospel with hundreds of people and only a handful come to, to the foot of the cross in repentance and faith, it is because Christ himself did the work. You are merely a tool in the master's hands for the, for the means of preaching and sharing the gospel. God justifies the ends, but he also justifies the means. And if we fail to trust in his word, if we fail to believe that his word is sufficient, if we fail to go to the word itself to understand what God desires for us and what God means by what he says, then we have said to God, we don't trust you. And when we cower under the manipulative words of the culture, we have said, God, you just don't understand. And that may we never do. Ever, ever may we never do that. So folks, I understand some of you may not hold to the doctrines of grace. I understand some of you may go, oh, there you go. You you and your Calvinist nonsense, you know, you're just, you believe in robots. Look, if you want to reject that, that's fine. But you're going to have to go to the word of God. And you're still going to have to trust his word instead of your own cleverness for the proclamation of the gospel. Because that's what he has commanded you to do. So even if you reject the soteriology, you cannot reject that the gospel is a is a proclamation, a proclaimed message that is contained in the pages of Scripture. And if you think you can perfect that better than God, you and I have a very different discussion to have. Trust in His Word. Trust in His means. Trust in His grace. Do not fear what the world will say or do. I beg you in that regard. Okay? Stand Upon his word, know his word backwards and forwards, inside and out. Understand what God has said because you are going to, not it's not maybe, you will be confronted with, well, I can't believe that. That's just hateful gar- garbage. I had someone calling me that today online. Guess what he got? He got the gospel. <laughs> okay? You got to stand by the word and you got to tell people it doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter how you define it, it matters what God says. And so if we've done anything in this episode, our hope is to open your eyes that language is being manipulated and used to tra- trap you into places that you don't think you're, you're afraid to be, but you have something far superior than any manipulation that can be wielded against you, and that's the Word of God. Spend time in it, grow in it, understand it, and then use it. Because that is the, that is the sword of the Lord. It is the Word of God, and it is effective. It will be it will go out and it will accomplish exactly what God intends for it to do. So we hope we, we've helped, been helpful to you this week. We hope this has been a blessing to you. We look forward to spending time with you next week. God bless you guys. We'll see you then. Have a good week.